0: Coming up next on Thriving in Recovery. Football was just a piece of my puzzle, um, not the entire puzzle. There are many other important things in your life. It was just an opportunity for you to use that vehicle to to get on a stage, to speak on something way greater than yourself, way greater than me. This is what he shared with me. Um, and something that every single person is affected by, either directly or indirectly. And so I make sure to continuously tell myself that before I, as those butterflies come about, my social anxiety, when I get nervous, when I want in my mind, that little voice is telling me, isolate, isolate, isolate. We feel comfortable in that state. Isolate. I make sure to continue to remind myself that because whether you believe in God, whether you believe in spirituality or whatever it is that you may believe in, for me, it's something terrible happened in my life that I caused, and I only have one option, which is to turn it around and use it for good, right? That's that's one thing that everybody can't agree on. Um, I am a believer in God, and so I do believe that this has been my mission all along. But I always share that. It doesn't matter what you believe in, that's the fact. I stumbled. I made a terrible mistake. I can't change it. But what I can do is explain what happened and hopefully prevent others from going down that route.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving in Recovery podcast. Today, we have the privilege of featuring a remarkable individual who has transitioned from a successful career in sports to making a significant impact in the mental health space. Join us as we explore the inspiring journey of our guest, Monte Ball. Monte is known for his outstanding achievements as a former star running back and has taken his passion for personal growth and well-being beyond the football field. After facing personal challenges and navigating his own path to healing, Monte has dedicated himself to the field of mental health, becoming an advocate and an agent change. Get ready for an enlightening conversation as we explore the intersection of sports, mental health, and personal growth. Whether you're a fan of Monte's athletic achievements or simply interested in understanding the importance of mental well-being, this episode promises to leave you inspired and equipped with valuable insight. Enjoy. Monte, how you doing? I'm doing well. How yourself? Doing great. Uh so why don't you start at the beginning?
0: Give us a little background and uh share your story with us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you know, my name is Monte Ball. Um, you know, my story, right, starts with a game of football, right? Where it's it's this It's this young kid who is aspiring to to be a running back for the Denver Broncos at the age of eight. Um, I remember running into the house after just throwing a footballer off my dad, or excuse me, my cousin. And I went inside, and I saw my dad watching TV. And I was eight at this time, uh, and he was watching the Broncos play. And I just started asking him a bunch of questions. Like, who is that? What are the zebra-printed shirts out there doing? Who are they? Why are they throwing the the yellow towels? Let's call them towels on the field, Uh, and he went to, you know, obviously explaining that there's an infraction, there's a penalty, et cetera, something needs to change, they did something incorrectly, and also obviously sharing about who the players were. Um, I was asking him many questions about the running back, quarterback, all of the above, and really just piqued my interest in the game, and I remember turning right to him and saying, I want to play football. Uh, I think this is something that I really want to do, and I want to be a running back for the Denver Broncos. Uh, Told him that straight to his face, and I remember him jumping up, mom was excited as well, And they got me into football the next football season. Um, And funny story about football, uh, how it all started. I my first ever fully padded practice. I'm about 20 minutes in. I remember walking over to the fence and told my parents that I want to quit. Um, That I'm done. That my eyes were burning from the sweat. I was tired. My muscles were sore. Right. And I was like, no, I want to play something easier like baseball. Um I'm remember, <laughs> remember saying that to them. Yeah, of course, right? Such a juvenile mindset, thinking that baseball's an easy sport. Um, but I remember telling them that and one message that they shared with me that really stuck with me, even to this day, is you know, I've agreed to sign up for it. So Going to finish out this season, and if it's something I do not want to do following that this that season, then you know I can go on to play soccer or baseball or, or go into choir, whatever I felt like doing. But since I said I want to do it, I'm going to do it, and so that really stuck with me. And and obviously with the game of football, right? The rest is history. I stuck with it. Really started to excel um at an extremely young age. Um, and I think it really really hit me when I turned 16 or 17, my junior year in high school, um, when things really started to click. I was doing some extra summer conditioning with this program called acceleration um, really trying my best just to gain that edge while others were enjoying their summers. And that really paid off for me, my junior year in high school, um, that year I rushed for 3000 yards um, in a season. Um, and by the end of my senior year, I held the touchdown record in Missouri. Um, and that obviously carried on to, to college, but that's football. Obviously, what was going on outside of that really started to come in in high school. Um, I would say my junior year in high school, where it was, I started to, some of my friends were starting to talk about some of their extracurricular activities at night, um, some parties that they were talking about, some after the game parties that they were going to go to. And just being a young kid, right, 16, 17 years old, that that fear of missing out, right, that almost started to really get at me, where I'm like, I'm, I'm not participating in the conversations at the lunch table. I'm not uh, really participating in any of the game planning after the game for the night uh, life, in a sense. Uh, I was more so straight, narrow, shower, and go home with my family. But um, there was one moment where I decided to go to a party. Um, and of course, being 16, 17 years old, I didn't share that with my parents. Told them that I was going to go and play some video games all night, of course. Uh, we ended up having a party, and that was my first time ever getting intoxicated. And it was a moment that I still look back to today where it's 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 pretty significant because my first time getting intoxicated I I, I I puked um all over myself um and then slept in my own puke. Um, and again I know we all have crazy stories like that but that was my first ever experience and now obviously you know hindsight in 2020 it's like wow you know I kind of Started it out with the bang and, and bang, uh, I should say, started it out up. I should not ever have started it, but it kind of accelerated. And it's not so much as a surprise now that I can look back and then see how it all started. And so that was my first ever experience. But again, still in high school, even after that, there was only about nine to 10 times that I got intoxicated in high school. Still pretty straight and narrow. Uh, but again, that peer pressure was, was starting to work, unfortunately on me, started to pull my attention away from school, pull my attention away from um, the game of football, but not significantly at this point. That came about in college. Um, And for me, um, once I got to the University of Wisconsin, for one, it's a different atmosphere, right? People know about the culture in Wisconsin, the drinking culture. Um, There's a lot of other great things that Wisconsin is known for. Uh, I'm not saying drinking culture is great, but for some reason, they, they take a lot of pride in that. Um, in Wisconsin, I've retired um, My first ever experience of being in a bar, I remember seeing a 16 year old in there with parents and they were consuming alcohol. Uh, I remember seeing grandparents at the age of 70 or 80 in the bars. Um, just a different atmosphere, just a different environment that that I was used to. Um, and I just dove head first straight into it, um straight into it. And my freshman and sophomore year, uh, I wasn't producing at all on the football field. Um, I had a lot of time to just party, drink, uh, but I still obviously trying to get that starting position. Um, but I was, make, I was I was, more so just focused on that. That FOMO was pulling me towards what am I missing? Why is everybody going to the bars? What's happening at the bars that I'm not experiencing? What is everyone talking about? What is all this that they're doing? And I remember I just went straight forward. And unfortunately, at that time, I never turned back. Um, and it really got to me my junior year. For some reason, I don't understand why it's always my junior year in high school and in college, but in my junior season is when it really consumed, um, entirely. And the crazy part about it is my junior year was my best year on the football field. Um, we were fortunate enough to get Russell Wilson to Wisconsin, um, that year. And we ranked like third in the country. I was a Heisman finalist that year. And, but a lot of people don't know that that was at this point, that was my, toughest year mentally off the feet. Um, I was isolating myself in my apartment. I started to consume my alcohol by myself. Uh, my social anxiety was really getting the best of me, right? I would go to class and I was too afraid at times to, to raise my hand. I didn't, just didn't want for anybody to know that I was present, know that I was there um, because what comes with the territory, of course, is a lot of people asking you questions, wanting to know about your life wanting to get autographs wanting photos. And sometimes I just wanted to remain incognito and just get worked done and get out of there. But that just was never the, the case. Uh, I don't want people to feel sorry for me for that. Right. It comes with the territory, but it was something I wasn't prepared for. Um, sort of living my life in this fishbowl experience. Where's, what is he wearing? Where is he going? Why is he at the bar i remember seeing a bunch of tweets about that like he should be out practicing so i started to build up some resentment towards fans disappointed in myself right contemplating if i'm doing the right things but then i'm like well you're at the bar too so what <laughs> if you're seeing me here so it was just a lot going on between my ears at that time um, in, in my junior year and that's when the depression got me um the isolation the continuously contemplating if I'm doing the right thing if i'm heading in the right direction really placed me in um, an unfortunate situation of solitude, right? Where I just did not want to speak to anybody. I started to avoid some of the dinners that my family was having because my parents and my sisters moved up my freshman year. So in 2009, they also moved up to be closer, to make it to every single game and started to avoid them at times. Um, And I really started to give a lot of attention to my friends, uh, who I thought were my friends um, in the bars and really lost myself in that social anxiety in and, in and the depression. Now the thing about the social anxiety, as we all know, right? That's why I drank so much. Why I would always go to the bar and I'd have to take eight to ten shots immediately because it would. It was my it was my liquid blanket. It allowed for me to feel calm. It allowed for me to get those thoughts out of my head and just be in the moment. Um, which, as we all know, right? That's how it treats you. But that felt good to me at the time, um, and that's something that felt good. And I continuously did it, and I started to do it even more. Um, and so it excelled even more, um, accelerated, excuse me, even more in my senior year. Um, and when I had the opportunity, obviously, to declare for the NFL draft, not addressing anything that I was struggling with, the friends that I was hanging out with, the, the, the amount of alcohol that I was consuming, and that being after Saturday's games, of course, right, Saturday nights, um, Sundays, um, sometimes even Mondays, um, right there in college. Didn't address any of that. And I sort of packed up my alcoholism or rather the beginning stages of it into my suitcase and then took off to Denver, Colorado, right? And as we all know, right, not addressing it in moving states, so much stuff was changing in my life. Uh, Bigger stage, bigger anxieties, money, um, just having more access, right, to life's pitfalls. Um, I fell right in it. I fell right in at 21, 22 years old getting hundred dollars sent to my bank account um, I spent it and I spent it on partying on traveling uh, to party um, I spent it on things that um, don't mean anything really of uh, at all and as I was going throughout that time of partying and spending that money obviously I had an idea of that this is not the vision that I thought it was going to be, right? When I was that eight-year-old kid envisioning myself as a running back for the Denver Broncos, I thought it would be a different story, but it was not. um, Or excuse me, I thought, yeah, I thought it would be a story where I was, you know, have an eight to nine to 10-year career in the NFL, but that was not the situation. Um, I was bit by the addiction bug, and I did not address it, and it took me down. It did. Um, Just to be straight out, it did. Um, And it hit me pretty quickly. Uh, We're talking four years from my junior year in, in college to my second year in the nfl um it completely stripped away my identity completely stripped away my uh, reputation completely stripped away relationships um and the idea of being a role. um and 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 i just didn't see it though entirely i saw a little bit of it but i again i just was living in the moment i felt that the money would always come i felt like i would always have an opportunity to to be a running back in the nfl and, and I, I allowed for it to, to consume, me. and I, I did. And I didn't, and I always love sharing this part of the story. And please forgive me if I kind of ran through that pretty quickly and I'm interested in your guys' questions. But I always think back to my running backs coach pulling me to the side um, in one morning, right? So, uh, my routine was I would always show up about two hours before our first meeting. So I'd be there about 6 a.m. And after a night of drinking all night, till about 2 or 3 a.m., um, and I would hop in the hot tub. Sweat it out at first, and then I will go in the steam room to sweat it out some more. Then I will shower, um, and get a cup of coffee and make it appear as if I'm so, which everybody could tell that I was not. And I remember my running backs coach pulling me to the side and asking me. Uh, first, he said I could smell a significant amount of alcohol on you. I mean, this is at this is at eight a.m. um on a Wednesday, and um, I didn't really have a response for him then. But then he continued on and said, if there if you need any help, if you, you want to speak with somebody. Um, i can help you i can we can find somebody we can reach out utilize some of the nfl pa resources and being the 23 year old at the time uh felt like i had all the answers i told him i'm good i'm good i'm okay i'm I, i'm gonna take care of this and i walked out the room and seven months later i was released from the broncos because of my drinking that is what john ellie told me to my face yeah it's it's a <laughs> it's it, it it sucks man excuse me and, and sorry for i can for, for can't find a better word it just it sucks because that's that was my dream and and and, uh it was taken away from me obviously i i played a significant role in that but i didn't see myself becoming an an alcoholic and, and it was stripped away from me um my dream and so I felt, and I felt hard, significantly hard. And so then obviously following that, we we know the story, we know the scandals, right? Um, I was released from the Denver Broncos and I started to ignore uh, phone calls. I remember the New York Jets were calling me and I ignored it. Elgo Bears called me. I ignored their call as well. Um, And then my agent was calling me trying to figure out what's going on. Um, And at this moment, right, this was my first ever fall since the age of eight of not being in football pads. And so I was... It was like a new world for me and and, a, and and instead of traveling the world and trying to figure out other things that i'm passionate about i took that opportunity to consume more alcohol um, from september of 2015 to december of 2015. and in december of 2015 i was picked up by a new, england, new england patriots um and nothing changed them. Nothing changed whatsoever, except the fact that the Denver Broncos beat us in the AFC Championship game and went on to play the Panthers in the Super Bowl. Um, and so I got, I was angry. I was frustrated, right? My ego was bruised. I was felt insignificant. I felt small. And my partner at the time was the closest person to me because I pushed my family to the side and she was the closest to me. And so I, I took my frustrations on her. Um, I did because I wanted to prove – I guess I wanted to prove to the world that I am still this macho Monte Ball, the running back guy, and now the entire world knows that I just got released because I'm not good enough Um, and thrown on the practice squad for the New England Patriots. And so once all that came about and I, and I had my mistakes with my uh, – my former partner um i landed myself a quick little stint in jail for three days over the weekend and at that time i watched the denver Broncos in jail while i was in jail beat the california panthers in the super bowl and i remember while i was sitting in there i was i had like seven other inmates with me in this holding cell. And they all caught word that Monte Law was arrested and they put two and two together. And as the game was playing, I remember them looking at me and one guy in particular and said, that's supposed to be you up there. You're supposed to be a role model for us, for our youth. You're not supposed to be in here with us. And I remember at first I was, you know, the, the pot calling the kettle black. I was like, Whoa. "I was like, what are you talking about? But then I remember it, it hit me that he's right, right? I I, I, I grew up in a two-parent school. Um, my parents have been extremely supportive my entire life, So of my sister's i um, fortunate enough to have them even move to the state that I went to college in where they only missed about two games on um, all four years in person. They drove to Penn State 16 hours and drove right back home. I mean, very, very supportive family. Um, and so I, I remember turning my back towards the TV and didn't want them to see that I was crying, of course. Started crying because he was right. Um, He was right, Um, he was, he was right. And obviously now having the knowledge that I have about addiction and how it preys on you and how it impacts other parts of your life and how it really just takes a toll on your mental health. I know, no, I I, I didn't want for that to happen, but there were so many opportunities where I could have went a different direction, but I chose not to. And so for me, it's a story of the game of football, toxic masculinity, social anxiety, depression. Um, believing that it is not possible for me to fall victim to any of those three. Um, and I fell victim to all three at the same time. Um, and I had no idea what to do. It, it's not preached, right? Uh, unfortunately, it's not common. It's, it's it's not encouraged for men to speak out, talk about their feelings. And then obviously when you throw the game of football on top of that, throw some dirt on it, you'll be fine. And so that's that, that sort of mentality bled over into my life. Uh, um and so it took me a while. Ever since I retired, that being in 2016 when I retired, I would say it took me probably five years. So back in in 2021, I finally tired to close that door of football, of regret, of of just it, just I don't know. I I I see my friends that are still playing in the league at this time in 2021, and I would always tell myself I'm supposed to be there. I don't understand why this happened to me. Why am I on this trajectory? Um, but therapy was helping me out a lot. And so as I was going through all this in my head, obviously this coming up because I was still talking to my therapist and, and working through some things. But uh, again, I feel like I'm all over the place here. Um, I'd love for you guys to ask a question, but that's sort of the reader's digest in the sense of what happened to me, snuck up on me, really did in, in college. Um. And I never addressed it, and so then, as we know, it's just a pretty slow, right? Alcoholism, depression, anxiety, all of the above. If you don't address it, and I never did um, until I, until I had to, until I had to.
1: Man, it's interesting hearing uh, hearing your story from your mouth. <clears throat> you know when you're put in the spotlight. So oftentimes, like, you know, you, you read articles and are you here on ESPN or you're on the news or whatever it may be. And so it's, it's really, really interesting hearing your perspective and hearing your side of it. Um, I know for, for me personally, I relate to a lot of that. Um, I definitely want to ask you a few questions about your, what you, what you do today to, to handle social anxiety, to handle expectations on yourself to i mean we can dive in i'll kind of compartmentalize them but for those those ones to start so like you know you mentioned earlier in your story like the fomo and and having social anxiety and i think that's for for me personally this is where i resonate with it is i had the same sort of thing um so what do you do now that you are sober you're in recovery you're crushing it you're 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 sharing this story you're sharing your message um, does social, social anxiety still come up for you? And, and if so, how do you handle oh my it? Gosh.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. Every time before I get on stage to, to present as a keynote, um, absolutely. Um, I would have to say therapy. Um, so I had 76 hours of individual therapy, um, under my belt and I understand there are a million, million ways up the hill, right? So, uh, but for me, I'm, a, I'm a huge advocate for just that one-on-one counseling, one-on-one therapy, what have you, right? Because it's your opportunity to close the door. Nothing leaves this room, and just to let it out, let it out on somebody else, and, and allow for them to help you change your perspective. Um, and so, for me, that's what I rely on to this day. Um, outside of my family, of course, and my son is. What I was, what I learned in therapy and one thing that he shared with me will stick with me until I'm in the ground. And that is, as, as, as cliche or not, as it may sound, it's so true, uh, where football was just a piece of my puzzle, um, not the entire puzzle. There are many other important things in your life. It was just an opportunity for you to use that vehicle to, to get on a stage, to speak on something way greater than yourself, way greater than me. This is what he shared with me um, and something that every single person is affected by. Either directly or indirectly. And so I make sure to continuously tell myself that before I, as those butterflies come about, the social anxiety, when I get nervous, when I want my mind, that little voice is telling me, isolate, isolate, isolate. We feel comfortable in that state, isolate. I make sure to continuously remind myself that because whether you believe in God, whether you believe in spirituality or whatever it is that you may believe in, for me, it's something terrible happened in my life that I caused. And I only have one option, which is to turn it around it and use it for good. Right. That's, that's one thing that everybody can't agree on. Um, I am a believer in God. And so I do believe that this has been my mission all along, but I always share that it doesn't matter what you believe in. That's the fact I stumbled, I made a, a terrible mistake. I can't change it. But what I can do is explain what happened. And hopefully pre- prevent others from going down that route. And so that's what really helps me out with my social anxiety today. That really helps me out staying away from the bottle. And obviously my child. My child is six years sober. or Six years old, and I've been six years sober from alcohol. So he never got to experience any of it. He was, Um And he's been a significant uh, part of my life. That's
2: what was, amazing. That, was that like your? What was your moment to change? Like, what was it that? brought you to be able to realize that hey i have to change my life was it the the birth of your son or that spot in jail or like where was it that kind
0: of switched your mindset? obviously obviously my son right uh but one thing that i was taught and that i do believe to be true i i I first do this for myself at being not touching the bottle right do that for myself first because if i focus on that then everybody around me will we read the happy, healthy Monte um, in a sense, because I don't want to place that on someone else because I need to take care of that. Um, so, so yes, but in a nutshell, obviously my child, because now that he's, he, he's alive, he, he's been conceived and he's, he, he, he's been born. Now, every single decision I've decision made is going to directly impact someone else's life. And so that's a huge part of it, but also... I feel as if I let my family down as well. Um, We all had a plan, developed a plan when I was 12 or 13 years old, and I kind of stepped away from that plan for a second. And so not not in in the sense that I need to make up to them, but I don't want to embarrass them anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so I always keep that in my head as well, too. But it's more so just service, right? Service. Service is what keeps me going. Outside of those two things that I mentioned, The third one is service and i I truly believe in that what it allows for me to continuously fight is that social anxiety every single day that i go out to do service i'm nervous i'm anxious i know that some people aren't going to like me for the rest of my life that's fine Um, i understand that those are the voices that pop in my head before i step out that door but i do step out that door every single time um, because i do believe that this is my mission entirely
1: that's awesome no, that was great. I yeah, that's perfect. Um, so how did you first realize? So I want to go back to the story about the the runnings back running backs coach pulling you aside and, and offering yeah. you help. What was kind of the process like? What was going through your mind then when you had an opportunity that somebody was reaching out to you and said, Hey, um, I'm reaching out. I noticed there's a problem. What well, what was your thought process there? Cause and, and I bring this up for somebody who might be listening to this who maybe going through the same thing and other people are reaching out to them saying, Hey, we want to help you out. Um, what, what was that like? Um,
0: well, I, at the time I was hung over and didn't really care. Um, it was more so of the, in this mentality I developed in college, it was the mentality of everybody else's doing it everybody everybody is doing. It. Um, because of course I wasn't the only one partying. It just impacted me differently. Um, and that is something that I just never saw until, you know, those bars were slammed in front of my face, uh, the jail cell. Um, And so for me, it was more so just uh, as he was sharing that with me, obviously, I knew that he cared, right? I, I knew that he doesn't have to do this. But I didn't want to share anything with him because I didn't believe that I would receive any Anonymity, right? Uh, he needs to keep his job. He's got a family to feed. If I'm up there fumbling the football, hungover, trunk, what have you, on the football field, he's got to sit me down, or he's going to tell or play me and never not tell the head coach. I thought that he was going to tell the head coach that I'm struggling with alcoholism, so I didn't feel comfortable sharing. I thought the stigma would get me out of the door faster than my decline in productivity, but I was I was badly mistaken.
1: What would your advice be, knowing what you know now, for somebody? in your shoes during, during that period of time.
0: Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. Uh, my, there's so much advice, right. That, that I can say, but if I had to narrow it down, if I had to narrow it down, some of the, Things that, concepts, what have you, that you are taught at such a young age are so extremely important and and come into play when you really start to dive into your social world in high school and obviously college and all that stuff. And that message being, you have to make sure that you are always paying attention to who you are surrounding yourself. Um, You learn that at the age of six, seven, eight, five, what have you. And for me, again, the people who I hung around with, I knew that they weren't doing some of the right things, but I always felt that that wasn't going to be me. It's not going to be me. But as we all know, right, you are what, a third of the people you hang out with or whatever that saying is, you will start to adapt or rather you would start to just start really doing exactly what they start doing. It's it's, it's weird. You start to mold into that mob mentality and it's a very dangerous situation to be in. So for me, it was more so just people that I hung out with um, in my ego, in my ego. And so, my message is to to make sure that you are focusing on those who you are spending the majority of your time around. What are they doing? What are they bringing to the table? Are they pushing you? Are they fighting for, for you to continuously push for your goals? Are they attaining or achieving, excuse me, their goals? Like, what is it that they are doing that's helping you out in your life? And what are you doing to help them out in their life? Not so much to be transactional, but we're talking about goals here. We're talking about friendship. We're talking about. Uh, just a community around you. For me, I didn't pay I didn't I didn't care about that. I didn't pay so much attention to that because I felt as if I was of the law that it wasn't gonna happen to me. Um, so I really love sharing that message message along with you really have to pay attention to the habits that you're creating as well. Because for me I was creating and developing a habit of picking the bottle up when I was stressed, picking the bottle up when we lost a game, picking a bottle up when um I got into an argument with with, with my girlfriend or, or my parents or whatever, picking the bottle up and that habit i developed in college and when times got difficult for me in 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 the nfl right i moved to a different state don't know anybody bigger stage more anxiety uh etc i don't think i ever put the bottle down and so i always make sure to tell people that you have to pay attention to the people you're hanging out with and also the habits that you're creating um pay attention to those habits what are you doing date is it improving your life or is it not if it's not improving your life then why are you continuously doing that so that I, am pretty sure for when I share my messages because I, I don't, I don't like to be Donald Bush with with teenagers. I don't. You're Speaking right.
1: of habits, yeah. go ahead, Robbie. Put an
2: emphasis on being a role model and like that realization that you were at a place where you were not being a positive one. I, what are some things you're doing now in your life make the model for people looking at you? And you're on and
0: yeah, absolutely. For, I think for one, I always make sure to remind myself, uh, not as neat, I think it's a great start to my day. When I want to do services. You know, I'm not above this, right? Um, we all hear it. Service is a huge part of recovery. That's a message that I always share with teens who are in recovery as well, that you have to, serve um, others who are struggling. So I always remind myself that I'm not above it Um, and that I step out the door. Um, I, I work at Sandstone Care, which provides treatment, a full continuum of treatment for teens and young adults. I get the opportunity to speak with teens, speak with young adults, speak with their parents, families, all of the above obviously just about what they can expect within our program, but also about my story, how addiction doesn't discriminate. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if you were draft picked to the NFL or ISM finalist or, or grew up in a cheaper household, loving household. It still gets you. It can still get you. Um, and so with my job, of course, as Sandstone, I don't even really view it as a job because it, it's it's part of my service. All right. Unless <laughs> you smile, Rob, because it, it, it's part of my service, uh, for one. Um, obviously... Being in my son's life is a huge part of that. Um, he's six years old, so obviously he's completely oblivious to it. But when he gets old enough and starts Googling his dad's name, we're going to have some conversations, obviously. Um, so just mostly preparing myself for that. But outside of all of that, um, speaking with youth, doing some recovery coaching as well. Um, I still talk with a couple of kids back in Wisconsin um, um, who... Decided to step away from their to their choice of substance that they're using, and and has found the recovery path. Um, just being supported, man, outside of Sandstone Care, outside of talking to the kids, just being supportive and an advocate right for mental health because we see what's going on outside. Uh, we see the data surrounding opioid use. We see the data surrounding homelessness right? Um, We need more folks who have a voice to start using it. And I, so I don't take that, uh, I take it very seriously. I don't take it lightly. Um, So being a voice, whether it's at work, whether it's in person with teens and young adults, uh, whether it's on social media, that's, that's really what I love doing.
1: I have a question about, like, you've mentioned your family numerous times. So like, how did your addiction impact your relationship with your family? And subsequently, like how, has your relationship changed since you've gotten into
0: recovery? Oh, yeah. Sure. I, was an, I was an a-hole. Excuse my language. I was just rude. I was just, ah uh, okay. So for me, it was it was, it was it was always a roller coaster, right, for my family, right? They just didn't know what, what mood I was in. I was suffering from significant depression and anxiety, and then obviously just drowning all that out with alcohol, right? You didn't, they didn't know what mood I was in. So I know for a fact that I placed a lot of my family members on, you know, I had them walking on eggshells. Uh, just not knowing how is he feeling today? Uh, is he is he up today or is he, or is he experiencing a low today? Um, and I also understand what, what sort of wedges that can place in between you and your family. Um, and so it, it really, it directly impacted my relationship with, with my family. Um, but I'm very, very, fortunate enough to have a family that's forgivable, um, very forgiving and extremely supportive. But yeah, it, it was, it was a lot of arguments. Um, it was a lot of not calling them back, avoiding them. Um, just trying to just believing that I got it all under control, uh, when it's funny because your parents know you better than you know yourself, uh, in some situations, of course, but from life, that is the case. Um, and they just knew that I wasn't healthy and I continuously lied to them. So obviously, it's something that I that I regret because time is obviously not on any of our sides. I wish I can get that time back, but we're we're doing extremely well now. Um, extremely well. That's awesome, man.
1: Um, so you talked a lot about service and community and hanging out with the right people. How do how does Monty prioritize self care in your recovery? Other than those things and being of service, like how do you prioritize like uh, the things that you do on a consistent basis, on a daily basis, that are helping to keep you sober, so that you can be the best version of yourself? Yeah, I love
0: that. Um, and again, I shared this earlier. It, it's whatever you believe in is is your prerogative. That, that's up to you, of course, and I respect it. Uh, but for for me, I believe in a higher power. I do. Um, and so I I I pray. Um, I pray a lot, actually. A lot of people don't know that. It's
2: something
0: that I've like rarely ever really shared. Um, but I pray a lot. So. I've I've found a way to utilize that voice in my head <laughs> for good instead of it telling me oh no we're too anxious right now we can't go in the crowd we can't talk about this in front of these people i've used it now to, to pray within um obviously to something um, and that's what really helps me to step outside my door sort of that inner dialogue along with believing in something that's greater than me um two things that being my service and also uh, my higher power um those things right there are really the things that that, that after i wake up right pray say good things to myself and i'm looking at myself in the mirror and walk out that door and obviously thinking about my son thinking about that i have a responsibility to represent my last name right my family's last name um and and, and knowing that i have a responsibility to be a productive citizen right <laughs> in our community and and what better way to be a productive citizen than helping other people and so that it, it's it's pretty straightforward what i'm doing nowadays I don't like to, I don't like for there to be any ambiguity with, with what Monte Ball is doing today. It's simply being an advocate uh, for those who are struggling with addiction. Obviously my, my work at Seeing and Stoke here, where I get the opportunity to, to speak gay with people who are, who are going through what I went through um, and being a father.
1: That's awesome. Um, if you had to say, if you had to name three tools that you've developed since you got sober that have helped you like specific things. Like I know coming from somebody who myself, you know, I, I really resonate with exercise. Um, uh, I put myself in uncomfortable situations. So I do like hard events and stuff like that. Is there anything in particular, like three things that you would say, um, have really been beneficial in your path to recovery?
0: Yeah. I love that. Um, obviously the first one is taking that step, right. Reaching out for help that, 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 that is, that's the foundation, of course, um, and I would not have that foundation if it wasn't for my my, my parents, who pretty much had to throw me into treatment, um, and I, I I always thank them for that, of course. Uh, so that's That's one. Two would have to be um, I love now that the game of football is is my past life. Now um, I love exploring things that I love that I didn't know that I would like, right? And finding new hobbies, uh, finding new a new genre of music that I didn't know that I would love, right? That being like orchestra, like classical music. I absolutely Robbie, I see you laughing. I love, I absolutely love it, right? Uh, absolutely love classical music. Literally my favorite music. That's number one for, Um and so I so number two being right, just just having the opportunity to to let the past go right and, and now just trying to figure out what else do i like the excitement of being on the recovery side now it's like okay i don't need to to i don't need to use in order to, to feel good about myself right so there's a lot of excitement that surrounds that where it's like maybe oh let's go fishing or maybe i will like going to this art museum or maybe i will like classical music let's go to this orchestra and since i went to that orchestra concert fell in love. and so really exploring my identity I guess is what i'm saying for number two um and number three it would have to be understanding that you know i don't take anything away from athletes who have platforms and all that stuff but just understanding that i really love being in this position uh this position is better to be in than maybe an eight or nine career in Lena all right because i have an opportunity to really change lives um and to really be a role model for our communities because this is what we all are impacted by every single human being, that being addiction. And so, again, I'm not taking anything away from athletes. Obviously, I was one. But to say I now have a platform where I change lives is is more significant to me than to have a gold jacket.
2: I'm just laughing because I uh, also love classical music. No way. (laughs) Like, that's all I listen to when I work. So So you get it. You get it. There's something about,
0: like, don't get me wrong, I obviously love, you know, obviously I love hip-hop. I'll, I'll check out rap too. I'm not so much rap, but hip hop, of course. I love alternative music. Loving Metallica, all time favorite. Um, so you get it. Something about just no words, just instruments. Just it's complete bliss, uh, and I love it. Uh, uh, it's I think a lot of folks who are in recovery can agree to that. It's very weird, in a good way.
2: <laughs> yeah, so seriously? I guess,
0: uh, yeah. So it's it's that. And number two is a, is a big one, right? It's exploring your identity. Um, because we know what addiction can take away from you, right? It literally strips you, right, literally. And so I'm just blessed, right, to be on the other side of it and having the opportunity to speak about it because unfortunately most people don't In um, understanding that I'm I'm in the position to continuously, right at the age of 32, still exploring my identity. So that's sort of what keeps me going as well, right? Where I'm not done yet, I'm not done, <laughs> which is awesome.
2: What does the future look like, Salmonte?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, honestly, I don't know. I always struggled with those questions, right? The interview questions. Where do you see yourself in five years? I don't don't know. I don't, but to your question, um, as long as I I may be indirectly answering it, but as long as I continue to do what I am doing, I'm going to be happy with myself. Very happy. So if I continue to to place myself, just like what Bryce said, right? Place myself in situations that I would run away from, right? That voice would tell me to back away from um, continuously stepping out the door and seeing who I can impact uh today is, is is is. i continue to do that i'll be happy with myself in five years no matter where i'm at i could be living in guam in five years but i, I trust me i'll be figuring out a way to provide service some way somehow right in guam and so it's so funny how this all started out because i was obviously completely just against the whole therapy i don't know, I don't, I don't know this person why am i going to spill all like my, my secrets and my, my insecurities out on this person Obviously, it was a different process uh, than I thought it would be, completely phenomenal, huge advocate for it. But I always love bringing it up because uh, many people struggle with that first step to the door. And as cliche as it sounds, it is the most important step. And, I, and I'm smiling because I didn't believe it then, but I 110% believe it today. That Without that, literally that one step, without that step, I wouldn't be sitting, I would not be. Um, and so that would also be my advice to our community is when you, when you come to that fork in the road when you know you know that you're choosing the left side or the right side that's that's whatever side that is that you shouldn't be on where you're consuming where you're using etc you know you shouldn't be going down that path so when you come to that fork in the road you just you have to choose the help choose the help you have to uh, you have to starve your ego and feed yourself you have to um and and that's more so that saying for me because i had a huge ego but for others you just have to you just have to do it. You have to. No one can do it for you. You have to do it. And so I know that I have a little bit of an maybe an unorthodox way when it comes to speaking to people, but I've received great feedback from every single person who I've had very serious conversations with. And they love the fact that I don't beat around the bush with it. Um, we, have, we get one life and, and and you can do something that can change negatively, impact your life for the rest of your life. And that's something that's happened to me. I get it. Right, that's something that will always hang over my head. Uh, but I still wake up every day and smile. <laughs> I do, I do, um, and that's because of my family. Um, that's because of the therapy that I that was in. That's and also for folks like yourself, right? People were extremely supportive in my in my mission and um, in, and in wanting to help me build this community around me and around yourself. So again, I, I, Robbie, you know, it's only like second or third time meeting you, man. But you seem like an awesome guy, Bryce. I'd love to get together, man. Um, yeah, yeah, likewise, yeah. man. I mean, we're
1: we're right down the straight. street, so. <laughs> So we look forward yeah. to developing a, a relationship with you and working with you and I love your message and you're totally right like you have a platform um and and people resonate with what you say and you're very authentic and I think um you know your mission in wanting to help other people and impact people's lives uh, i mean you, you're well positioned to be able to do that and you are very eloquent and you have a great story and i think um your message is amazing and so whatever we can do to help support you on that as well like we'd love to be a part of that with you but uh, i
0: really appreciate that bryce yeah thank you for that and it's it's i'm i'm one out of 20 other million people who are doing the same mission. So I always remind myself that I'm not above the team. Robbie, you're part of the team. Bryce, part of the team, right? You're, you're broadcasting this. You're allowing for me to have a stage, probably to have a stage where we talk about this stuff, talk about important stuff. Uh, and it's just, I'm just thankful. I'm just always thankful. And again, I'm, I'm rattling, I'm rattling, but I'm smiling ear to ear. <laughs> I appreciate this.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I have another color, a couple of questions for you. Uh, so... Is there one person, uh, you know, we talk about a group, you know, surrounding yourself with people or, you know, having uh, the right team around you. Is there one person or a team of people in particular that have been instrumental, um, you know, since you've, since you've gotten into recovery, you know, so a lot of our guests are either part of different 12 step programs or non 12 step fellowships or whatever it may be. I mean, you mentioned therapy a lot. Is there like one person in particular and you don't have to name their name, but do you have that sort of. Monte Ball board of directors that you rely on, um, to help navigate, you know, the struggling and challenging things that you obviously continue to face to make good decisions? Of
0: course. Um, you know, I'll, I'll outside of my family, cause we, we know I I'll feel that the board of directors would be full of my family, but uh, I would rather, you know, I would say my therapist, of course, my goodness, his name is Corey. Um, and yeah, he, someone who, and he's very public about his story, but I won't share his last name, but he's very public. Um uh, he struggled with an addiction as well. Um, so I know that it's rare. Um, my situation as in being like, I, he was my first choice and, and it was an immediate match immediate, uh, which I know that that is a rare situation, right? I, I always share that with people too, where it's like, you have to make sure that, make sure that you understand maybe your first choice therapist might be the, not might not be the right one maybe you need a second one maybe you need a try a third one um but for me he's he's up there absolutely he's up there for sure number one um number two would have to be uh no you think he knows this. I never shared this with him, James White. Um, he was running back for the Patriots, just retired, but uh, we played together, we were roommates in college. Um, so we kind of saw it all um as it was developing, but he he's he's in there as well, mainly because he's never treated me differently ever since ever, uh, when I when I fell. Um he has never treated different me, me differently. He was one of the first people, if not the actual first person to text me. Um and he's been supportive since. Um and the third person I would have to say would be mm. this this is tough. That's tough. Border directors, those two plus. I'm think about my running backs coach. Yeah, our running backs coach, who was there in Denver. He's not a running backs coach for the Dolphins. Eric Stoudesville. Eric Stoudesville, because he has never treated me differently since. Even when they released me, right, had to be a tough decision for him. Um, he just texted me yesterday, actually. Um, just to give you a little bit more context uh, surrounding who this man is. Uh, he was. Obviously, we all, unfortunately, saw the news about Ronnie Hillman, right? Well, we were all in the backfield together. I mean, that's why he texted me yesterday. But that's how close he still is to the players that he coached. Ten years ago, we're still having conversations. from Ten years ago, right, when I first met him, he's still trying to get together right now, get all the running backs together just to just to see each other. He's up there as well because uh, he's a great man. And I remember just that, that conversation that we had where I turned him down from getting help, is something I always remember right he tried to help me. that will always stick with me. someone who literally tried to help me when I was in the lows of my addiction so those three right there.
1: That's awesome, man. That's so cool that, yeah, and totally, obviously family. Yeah, I get that. But that's super cool that right. you still have, you know, um, friendships and, and relationships with people who have, have seen you kind of at, at your worst, so to speak, and are still by your yeah. side today. And um, that's, I think, just a testament to, you know, people that may be struggling right now or going through it or have, you know, kind of messed up relationships with their families mm-hmm. or, or whatever it may be, right? Like everything is figure outable. Everything is solvable and um as long as you you know stay true to you and and you stay true to uh your path and you be consistent and you continually work on yourself like it's amazing to see that you still have support from those people in your life and um that's really awesome so
0: yeah thank you for that can i i I need to add a fourth though i need yeah at a fourth fourth. Uh, and he should have been mentioned earlier way earlier i you know i just uh, uh my running backs coaching college Thomas Hammack, who's now the head coach for NIU, um, yeah, awesome human being. He for when it comes to the game of football, literally transformed my game. Literally, he came to the Wisconsin. He applied and obviously got the position as a running back coach in 2011. So my junior year was his first year. Completely changed my game um, for the next two seasons. But also, just he's an awesome human being, great role model. Watching how he is with his children, watching how he is with his wife, and checking in on me after I fell, calling me, and still calling me to this day. Talked to him about three months ago. That's um, stuff that people don't forget, never. Um, so, those, those four, absolutely.
1: Love that. Well Robbie, do you have any other questions?
2: No, I just want to uh I just wanna say thank you for being vulnerable, right? And being able to share the hard times and and the successes, right? Being able to put it all together. Um and you are a great role model for 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 me, for these kids that you're working with, man. I just want to show my appreciation for, for what you're doing.
0: I appreciate that, Robbie. Thank you, man. Honestly it's it's and I'm not just saying this, but seeing folks like yourself right um where and, and bryce you as well we all have stories correct we've all had trials and tribulations and to see you guys doing what you're doing today this is you know provides an additional supply of fuel to my tank um right because i i look at people like yourself and it's like okay i, I can't continue to separate myself from my worst times um because i see that other people are smiling ear to ear um who's had trials and tribulations what have you i'm not too sure but i'm assuming everyone has um and just you know just a visual a visual on how life can be good life can be good and so i apologize guys if i was kind of all over the place earlier. no
1: that's um, it was perfect man we it, love it, that yeah it's
0: authentic just, uh yeah yeah this was awesome um and thank you seriously thank you um this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Thirty-two years old, six years out from everything, so I'm, I'm really going to start hitting the ground running here with some with some awesome projects.
1: Well, good. Well, we look forward to hearing about those and working with you and collaborating on those with you. Next one, next podcast we do, we'll have to do in person. Um, you know, we'll have the For studio sure. by then, and we'll get together. But um, where can our audience find you? Um, I know you've got stuff on YouTube and um I don't know, you've probably been on yeah. many podcasts before. Where can people consume some more info and uh and follow
0: you? Absolutely. So I started a podcast with my brother-in-law. Um he is also in recovery. Um, it's called untappedcake.com And uh I haven't done an episode with him in in probably five, six months, but we're starting to back up. I'm gonna hop on an episode tomorrow. Um, kind of hop back in. Cause I had to move to Colorado. I was like, dude, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta figure out like this, this next life here in Colorado, in Colorado, But long story short, untappedkick.com is a great place where we share stories, very similar, We get educators on our um, principals to, to firefighters, anybody in the community um, and giving them the opportunity to share their story, provide wisdom, hope, et cetera. Right. For people who are listening, um, and also my social media pages, uh, Monte Ball on Instagram, um, Facebook as well, Monte Ball Jr. on Facebook, uh, and Twitter, Monte Ball28. And I'm, I'm i like to think of myself as fairly responsive to people. Um, and so reach out, please reach out, I will respond. Um, and uh again, guys, I really appreciate it. This is awesome. Thank you, Monte. We appreciate you, brother. Thank you, sir. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you.